welcome to our Clothed with the Sun daily podcast, our reading and meditation on the gospel of the day. I am Charles Kalazi. Today is Monday, February the 5th, 2024. I'm sorry. It's actually, uh, I'm recording Monday evening for Tuesday. <laughs> My bad. I'm getting uh, coordinated here. Tuesday, February the 6th, it's the Memorial of St. Paul Miki and Companion Martyrs. It is also the uh, fifth Tuesday in Ordinary Time. Our gospel today is from St. Mark. When the Pharisees with some scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus, they observed that some of his disciples ate their meals with unclean, that is, unwashed hands. For the Pharisees, and in fact all Jews, do not eat without carefully washing their hands, keeping the tradition of the elders. And on coming from the marketplace, they do not eat without purifying themselves. And there are many other things that they have traditionally observed, the purification of cups and jugs and kettles and beds. So the Pharisees and scribes questioned him, Why do your disciples not follow the tradition of the elders, but instead eat a meal with unclean hands? He responded, Well did Isaiah prophesy about you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as human, teaching as doctrines, human precepts. You disregard God's commandment, but cling to human tradition. He went on to say, how well you have set aside the commandment of God in order to uphold your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever curses father or mother shall die. Yet you say, If someone says to father or mother, any support you may have had from me is korban, meaning dedicated to God, you allow him to do nothing more for his father or mother. You nullify the word of God in favor of your tradition that you have handed on, and you do many such things. So, this is a great reading. I mean, all of them are great. But it's also kind of challenging to talk about. See, Jesus, I, I, you know, everybody wants to criticize their church leaders. Everybody does. Oh, my goodness. From the Pope to the local bishops to the local priests. And sometimes they're coming at it from the right. And sometimes they're coming at it from the left. And sometimes they're just coming at it from a personality conflict. And we're told, and I think specifically of... Blessed Mother appearing, Our Lady appearing and talking about this. We're told not to criticize our leaders. We're told to have, I mean, even in canon law, there are rules about respect we're supposed to have for our leaders. From the Pope to the bishops to our priests, even other people that lead us, our teachers, our parents, local authorities, we're supposed to have respect. Yet, Jesus blasts the daylights out of these people, the religious leaders of his time. They're the only people that Jesus really blasts. He's surrounded by sinners and he's constantly loving them and forgiving them. But with the religious leaders, he blasts them. And it's where he lets his temper go in the temple, flipping over the tables. And he says the nastiest things and he calls them names. So that's why I say this is a challenging thing to preach about because we're still supposed to respect our leaders. We're supposed to pray for the Pope, pray for our bishops, pray for our priests. So instead of making this a sermon today, 
saying, yeah, those religious leaders. I mean, I'll say just a word on that really quickly. See, it's the sin of Lucifer that says, hey, everybody, look at how close I am to God. I'm better than all of you. And therefore, I don't have to follow the rules. I can do my own thing. I can lord my power over you. And this is the thing that Jesus gets most upset about. It's called spiritual pride. It's even worse than regular pride, and pride being the greatest of all sins. This spiritual pride says, well, I I represent God. I'm supposed to be representing God to you, and I'm not showing you any charity or kindness. Jesus Jesus is the representative of the Father, and he oozes in kindness and love and goodness and forgiveness and acceptance. But so many people in Jesus' name are the opposite. They say they represent God, and so many are just the nastiest things. So instead of saying, well, I hate this one and I hate that one, how about we talk today about power? I was on a retreat not too long ago, and one of the persons running the retreat is someone who works with a lot of church leaders, a lot of people in leadership all over the, really all over the world. This person is uh, just very, very involved with with uh, church leadership all over the place. And the person was talking to me one day as we were just on the retreat, talking about different things, praying about different things. She was talking about how power is an addiction. And very often with leadership, whether it's church leadership, secular leadership, very often people seek these kinds of leadership roles because there's something in them that feels incomplete and they feel like that power is going to satisfy it. Maybe they were not the most popular kid in their class. Maybe their parents told them you'll never amount to anything. And the list goes on and on and on. All the wounds that make us feel like I'm not good enough. And so people seek positions of authority. And I'm not just talking about priests and bishops here. I'm talking about the, you know, some of the worst people run for mayor. I mean, no offense. A lot of great people do too. Some of the worst people get involved in politics. And it happens very often in the church that we have people in charge of things, lay people that don't have any formation. And now they're representing a parish or a diocese or another church institution, even though they haven't taken a single theology class. They haven't attended a single workshop on spirituality and prayer. And people are looking at them as, oh, isn't this person high up in the church? Uh, I don't know, thinking of something funny, I probably shouldn't say This is many, many years ago, 25 years ago, somebody was telling me and some other people about someone having an affair and they said, oh, the person's very high up in the church. And I was with some priests and we just started joking and we just started naming the chancery officials laughing because we didn't believe that this was about them. What she meant was that it was somebody in the Knights of Columbus. (laughs) And okay, yeah, that's bad too, but that's not exactly what we would consider high up in the church. Anyway. A lot of people seek positions of authority and power, and then they love that power and they want more of it. They can't get enough of it. Once again, it's the original sin of the devil. It's the situation that the U.S. government is in right now because we've abandoned what the founding fathers set up 
to have a part-time government with very strict term limits because we didn't want any more people thinking that they are royalty. We wanted humble servants to go to Washington and represent the people. And that's gone completely out the window. And if we ever hope to save our republic, then we have to get back to things like that. Uh, and of course, I think of one of my favorite movie trilogies, the Godfather trilogy, Michael Corleone saying, you know, I tried so hard to get out of, you know, he's talking about the mafia and he says, the higher I go, the more corrupt it gets. He thought getting involved in the church and in uh, more quote unquote legitimate business would help him to uh, cleanse his hands and cleanse his soul of all the corrupt things he had been part of as when he was, you know, in the mafia. I mean, he still is in the mafia, but when he was actively doing criminal things and, and yet he says, no, it's even worse when you go higher up, higher into uh, what seems like it's more legitimate dealing with people of secular power and even people in church authority. So there is a corruption in power, in leadership that happens. And it's always happened. It's not something new. And it sometimes is in the church. Sometimes it's in secular places and people love their authority and they want more of it. And so sometimes they shape the system around themselves to give themselves more power and more control. And there's a sickness there. There's a sinfulness there. And once again, this is, it's a challenging thing to talk about because even if we see this in our church leaders, we're still supposed to pray for them. We're still supposed to respect them. It doesn't mean we can't get involved and maybe try to have an influence for the good. But, you know, this is the, it's the paradox. It's the irony of, of this passage here today. So let's throw out some positive examples. Here's a great one. St. John Vianney. He's barely ordained a priest. This is in the 1800s in France. He gets ordained, just he wasn't a good student. He barely made it. He got ordained. They sent him to ours, which is this little hole-in-the-wall parish. It's basically nowhere. And there's hardly anybody going to church. He works very hard to build up that parish. I mean, eventually he was going to be there for, what, 50 years. But in his first couple years, he's building it up and he's drawing the people back. And then as the people started to come back to church more and more, you'd think they would be thrilled that this is the man that brought them back. But no, they thought a little too highly of themselves. So we want somebody better. We want somebody more educated with higher status in society. It was the same complaint against St. John Newman in Philadelphia. We want somebody better than this by worldly means. And so in ours, they signed a petition to remove St. John Vianney saying, he's no good for us. He doesn't meet our standards. We want somebody more holy, more educated, more influential. And when the petition reached the bishop's office and it was on his desk, the bishop read it and he read all the signatures and he noticed that one of the signatures on the petition was that of St. John Vianney himself. <laughs> he used to refer to himself as a poor soul uh, because he, and I wouldn't say it was self-deprecating. I don't think he was depressed or anything like that. I think what it was, was he, he had humility. He recognized, yeah, all these things are saying about me are, are true. And frankly, I don't want to run a big parish. He just wanted to be a monk. He wanted to be in a monastery somewhere. And he said, I just want to go pray for my poor soul. But no, 
the bishop saw in him tremendous gifts, tremendous talents, tremendous humility, especially even signing that petition. And so he left him there and he encouraged him to keep doing what he was doing. I think of Brother Andre up in Canada that we, uh, St. Saint Andre Bisset, that we celebrated his feast day a month ago today and how he was a doorkeeper his whole life. That's all he ever did. He didn't want any other position than that. And yet, as the doorkeeper, imagine if that's your job, right? How many of us work our tails off in life? He did not have a lot of hard work to do as a doorkeeper, but what did he do? He helped every single person that came to that door. So he did work very hard. In fact, he was very holy, very prayerful, and he was a miracle worker. And endless, countless people received miraculous healings through his intercession. And he would, of course, always turn them to St. Joseph. So also through St. Joseph's intercession, the man is one of the greatest men that ever lived. And he was very, very happy to be a doorkeeper. I think of St. Therese saying, we're not called to do great things necessarily, but we're called to do little things in our lives with great love. That is what holiness consists in. That's the thing that's going to get us to heaven. That is true greatness. The little things that no one even sees, doing them with great love. And of course, there's so many examples from the life of Mother Teresa of just her great humility. Father Benedict Rochelle, I had the privilege of living with him for six months, and he was always talking. He had so many great stories, and he talked about Mother Teresa, about how she would refer to herself as the greatest of sinners. She worked very hard for the poor. She established foundations all over the world, and she worked with her hands. She worked, you know, blood, sweat, and tears went into her work, and just the empire that she built up of religious sisters all over the world. These sisters live in tremendous humility, tremendous poverty. They work very hard. She was working side by side with all of them, and yet she referred to herself as the greatest sinner, and Father Benedict became friends with her, and he was always trying. He thought it was funny to compliment her to see her reaction. You know, he would say, oh, you're a saint, and she would say, stop it, <laughs> and they would laugh. She would say, no, I am not. I am the greatest of sinners. And she would always say, you know, I'm, I'm one step away from falling right into hell, which is true for any of us, really. But she recognized that for herself. In the documents of the Second Vatican Council, which really in many ways go back to the writings of St. Francis de Sales, it is stated and it is explained that we are all called to holiness. A lot of people have misinterpreted this to think we are all called to have power in the church. We are all called to high leadership positions so that people can say, oh, look at him, look at her, they're on the altar, look at him, look at her, they're on the parish council, look at him, look at her, they're in the Knights of Columbus, when the reality is the teaching of the church about the universal call to holiness is just, it's reflected in, in these saints that I just mentioned, we're called to great love. We're called to evangelization. We're called to transform the world around us. It sometimes might require us to have a position. I mean, people have to run things. But the calling isn't, hey, everybody, look at me. I have this position now. Aren't I great? And that shouldn't be. See, people see that in the priesthood, and then they—it's like the bad, you know, the blind leading the blind. Like, oh, I want a position like that too, so I can act like I'm better than everybody else. And that's not the calling. 
The calling is to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. The calling is to love God above all things and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so we ask the Lord for that gift that we might recognize that humility. And yeah, if we have things within us that are feeling very needy, let's, it's not to just uh, repress those feelings and desires. If I'm needy for attention, if I'm needy for love, we can find that in the church too, but it's not by having power over others. Maybe it's by humbly admitting to others, hey, you know, I could use a friend. Uh, maybe to join a group that's in the church, maybe a prayer group or a group that's working for the poor and to benefit from that community that exists there and that mutual love among servants of God that can satisfy the deep places of the heart that are hurting. So we ask our Lord to give us that, that holiness that comes from humility and that desire to serve, to serve side by side with other good people, not to lord our authority over others, but to be like Jesus, who came to love, to forgive, and to raise us up to heaven. And of course, Our Lady is the perfect example of all this. Have a great day. God bless you. Mm-hmm.